Pastel Donata beer, balanced IPAs, and starting a brewery during a worldwide economic crisis. This week, it's craft beer in Lisbon, Portugal. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast and website for foodies at DestinationEatDrink.com. Glad to have you. Pull up a chair. Let me pour you a glass, because this week we're exploring the craft beer scene in Lisbon, Portugal. But before we get to any of that, if you've been enjoying the show, could you rate and review us on your podcast app? Only takes a minute. Helps Destination Eat Drink find even more foodie travelers just like yourself. My guest this week is Scott Steffens, founder and owner of Doish Corvosh Brewery and Tap Room in Lisbon. Scott came to Lisbon from Seattle with his Portuguese wife and opened Doish Corvosh in 2013. And Scott invited me to the brewery, so of course I happily obliged, and he showed me around his cool facility that even includes a disco ball hanging above one of the brewing tanks. We talk about Portuguese cafe culture and some of Scott's favorite craft beer bars, wine bars, and cocktail bars in Lisbon. And he's been here for 10 years, so he knows some great, great spots. Plus, Scott shares a great vegetarian restaurant to dine at in the city. Scott also tells me about some of his beers at Doish Corvosh, including their Milk Stout, the American IPA they make, and a beer infused with the Portuguese pastry Pastel Donada. Now, like I said, Scott invited me to the brewery, and that's where we recorded this episode, in the actual Deutsch Corvosh Brewery. It's a working brewery, so there's a little bit of background noise. Not not too much, just a little bit, but just show, just so you're aware, that's where we're recording this episode. All right, I'm thirsty, Scott's pouring, so... Let's drink. Destination, eat, drink. Scott Steffens, welcome to Destination, Eat, Drink. Thanks for having us at your brewery. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, my, our pleasure. It's great to have you here. So before we get into it, I want to ask you one thing. Um, the name of your brewery is Doish Corvos. I'm butchering the name, I'm sure. But in Portuguese, that's in Portuguese. In English, it means two crows. Right. What, what, where's that name come from? Yeah. So we founded the brewery, uh, about seven years ago and, um, we were just trying to find something that represented Lisbon, but not too blatantly. Okay. And, um, in the Lisbon, um, coat of arms, there's a oh. ship that's being protected by two crows. Okay. Uh, that's kind of a, the story of the city of Lisbon. Uh, kind of a little bit of the mythology, and uh, so we kind of uh, took it from there. <laughs> okay, good idea. I like it. You're going back. You're originally from Seattle, right? And now you're in Lisbon. Yeah. So the thing I always ask at expats is, how does that happen for you? 
<laughs> well, the most common uh, scenario is my wife is Portuguese. Okay. <laughs> so it was what, a woman. Yeah. <laughs> Good reason. Right. So, um, yeah, we were, we got married uh, almost 20 years ago, lived in Seattle for, you know, most of our, or about half the time uh, that we've been together uh, now. And uh, 2012, we moved to Lisbon. Uh, not with the brewery in mind at all. Okay. Uh, it was just because, you know, we'd been together, had two, two young kids, um, and we wanted to experience life in Portugal before the kids really, you know, got older and started putting down roots. Uh, so we just thought, well, it's kind of now or never. They were two and four. So 2012, it was during the economic crisis in, in Europe and especially in Portugal. So people thought we were crazy for moving here. There, yeah, were, yeah. you know, there wasn't many jobs. Fortunately, I could keep my job. So I, uh, for the first couple of years that I lived here, so I just worked remotely. And, um, and yeah, we, we, when we arrived, just, and I knew this from all of my trips here previously, uh, that Lisbon didn't have any craft breweries or no breweries whatsoever. I right, mean, right. Uh, in the city limits. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of got here. I, I have been a beer lover all my adult life. And, uh, so I brought a lot of homebrew equipment with me that I'd already been homebrewing for a long time. And, um, yeah, so we kind of set out and, and just started making beer for, for friends and, you know, for just gatherings at the house. And, uh, one thing led to another and, you know, we just decided to ha make a small investment in a very manual brewery. And uh, yeah. uh, after, this was after we'd been here about a year is when we formed the business. It took us over just over a year to kind of get everything set up, figure out the legal aspects. Um, again, being, you know, the well, we, 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 it turns out we weren't the very first to, to have a brewery in Lisbon. But, you know, there's a couple projects happening simultaneously. But um yeah, nobody at the city hall knew what was going on. <laughs> we like, would get a lot of yeah, we get a lot of different uh, different answers to the same question depending yeah, yeah, on who yeah. you talk to. So but yeah, what category do we put this? What box do we check? We don't know. You know, there's no box for brewery here on exactly. this application. Yeah, yeah. So now it's now it's fairly straightforward. Um, you know, if you were going to set up a brewery now, I guess. But um, but yeah, we uh, kind of. Uh, I, I joke that we did this as a public service, you know, because I just feel like beer is so important to me that, it, yeah, of course, <laughs> that, that, you know, you have to have a, a European capital city. I mean, of course, you have to have and a bunch you, of breweries. You go into cafe. I mean, I know in my town when I walk around Stubel, it doesn't matter what time of day it is. The cafes are full of people and they've all got a little glass, just like we you poured us a little glass of beer here, this size, the imperial size. Yeah. And they're just, you know, sipping beer. It's it's part of the Portuguese culture. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, we, we sell a lot of our beer, um, to, you know, for on-premise uh, purposes. But yeah. Because it's part of cafe culture. People like getting out of the house and meeting with friends. Houses are often small and, uh, yeah. you know, it's a, these, you know, in this part of Europe, uh, the places are, the cities are pretty dense. And so, yeah, people just like getting out and, and meeting at, uh, you know, third places. So, I, I would imagine 2012 was a tough time to move and to start a business. The downturn hit Portugal especially hard. But I would say maybe in hindsight, it was probably a, a great time to do it because there was probably cheap rents um, and there was probably access to a labor force that was out of work. So you were probably able to hire people 
you had access to uh, to labor. That's definitely true. I mean, you know, we joke that uh, we priced ourselves out of Marvilla, where we are today, <laughs> because <laughs> because rents are skyrocketing here. I mean, yeah, oh, okay. we, we had our choice of so many warehouses, um, you know, back in 2013 when we were looking for property uh, and, you know, as renters. And um, and yeah, today it's just a whole nother story. So <laughs> right, right. Fortunately, now, fortunately, we have long term leases, so we yeah. won't be going anywhere for a while. But good, uh, good, good. Yeah. That's good to know. Um, so on a higher level, Scott, how do you view today? Because you said there were no breweries in Lisbon when you started. Maybe a couple were starting out like you, but there were no breweries in Lisbon. How do you view the state of craft beer in Portugal today in 2022? Right. Well, I think we've come a long ways in a short period of time. Um I think that as a visitor coming to Lisbon, certainly in the more central area, it's pretty easy to find craft beer these days. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of craft beer bars. There's just uh, kind of these places that aren't quite cafes, but they're just kind of afternoon hangout spots. I don't right. know quite what to call them, but yeah. we sell a lot of beer to, to those places. And I know other people do as well. Snack a bar. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, I mean, there's just so many nice rooftops and uh, yeah. rooftop bars and and other kind of loungy places just to have a beer in the afternoon. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, I think, I think the, the craft beer scene in Portugal today is, is great. It's, uh, it's still growing obviously, but, um, yeah, I think we're in, we're in a whole, whole nother, uh, state than when we were back then. I like to say, uh, Portugal might've been a little bit late to the craft beer party, but when the Portuguese show up, you know it's going to be fun. <laughs> you know any party's going to be fun when the Portuguese show up. That's so, right. um, now you've been doing a lot of of these beer fests lately. I guess summertime is is when they happen. Yeah. Probably. Um, tell me a little bit about that. What What's it like when you go to these places? How do people uh, react when they see Portuguese craft beer coming into places like London and wherever else you happen to go? Yeah, uh, usually there's a lot of uh, enthusiasm, especially, yeah, I was in London, what, two and a half weeks ago um, at the Riverside Festival, and, and yeah, I mean, it's it's encouraging that, you know, so many people that I met there had already been to our tap room before, or, you know, had had some sort of connection with Portugal where they've tried our beer before, and yeah, so that's really encouraging. Same thing when we were, I was also in Paris, uh, a week and a half ago. Okay. <laughs> and same, same thing at this, uh, top takeover event that we did. Um, yeah. And, and man, we have, uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of, uh, we're, we're kind of making up for lost time right now. Yeah. Uh, okay. In terms of all the festivals and events. Um, you know, cause we have a pretty packed calendar through, you know, October at this point. And the last couple of years, it hasn't been that way. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're, we're used to traveling and, you know, our staff really likes to get out and explore and, and, you know, kind of spread the word about our brewery and, of course. Uh, you know, so yeah, it's been frustrating the last, you know, couple of years through COVID, but yeah, things are kind of at full speed right now. So you said you went to Paris and I... Of course, when I think of Paris, I don't think of beer off the you know top of my head. I think wine, first of all. Um, so what's it like in Paris? What's the culture like for beer? Well, I'm. this is literally my first trip to Paris in 20 years. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, the north of France is, you know, it's really close to Belgium, obviously, and... and uh, 
and uh, Germany. It's close to, you know, beer producing uh, regions. Lille is uh, more of a beer city than a wine city. Oh, Paris okay. is, you know, I'm no expert on Paris, but it's, you know, uh, it's a multicultural city, obviously. Yeah, right. So, uh, you know, I think you can find a little bit of everything. But, yeah, there's definitely great craft beer bars there. And, uh, you know, the people that were at our event, at least, were 100%, you know, French. This was not in the center. So uh, it wasn't it wasn't full of tourists, in other words. Let's talk about your brewery specifically, Scott. Um, I think when you're talking about craft beer, you have to get at why you're doing what you're doing. And so I want to ask you what your brewing philosophy is. What do you think about when you're making your beer? What I appreciate about our beers is that I think that they're all fairly balanced. And I mean, balance is always relative. Uh, we can be making a huge, thick, you know, imperial stout. But, uh, you know, even if we're using adjuncts, you know, vanilla, uh, other, fl- you know, flavorings or other uh, other ingredients that aren't the typical. I mean, I'm still looking for balance, even in, in that sort of environment. Um, you know, I... I don't want our i don't you know i think if you look at the the ratings you know they're always uh encouraging they always want more you know they always want extreme right and you know we have to kind of hold ourselves back from from going down that path too much because uh you know that can just get you into trouble where it's like it's great for a sip at a festival but there's no way you're going to drink an entire you know can or bottle of a beer like that i i couldn't agree more and I've talked about this a couple times on the podcast before. It's like, especially in America, but now even worldwide, some of these IPAs have just gone over the top with the hops. And I'm like, yeah, I can have a sip of it. But after that, then what? You know, and what are we drinking here? You, you so this is, uh, this is Creature. So this is our kind of flagship This is IPA. your American IPA. Exactly. And this is not overly hopped. This right. is very drinkable, but still you get a nice mouthfeel of the hoppiness to it. But it's also refreshing. It's not like I got to put this down and, you know, uh, drink a drink a pint of water to, uh, you know, have another sip. Right, right. Yeah. So I would say that even even with a lot of our hazy IPAs, I mean, we're putting in a tremendous amount of hops. But, you know, we're restraining the bitterness, you know, which is kind of what some people uh, trip on, uh, or, you know, are, are, are averse to. Uh, so, you know, the goal is to have just a, a fruit bomb of a beer, but, uh, you know, to have something that you can actually drink and, uh, you're not going to be, <laughs> you know, like you said, cringing when you're, when you're drinking it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is really nice. Uh, the creature American IPA is, is this your number one beer or what, what's your best seller? So as a category, IPA is definitely uh, our biggest category, but as a single beer, it's actually our Pilsner. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm a big Pilsner fan. Uh, what's, your, what's your Pilsner called? So it's, it's Prata, Prata Pilsner. Okay. Um, it's kind of, the, the name uh, is uh, a little bit about the neighborhood that we're in. So this is Brasa de Prata, okay. uh, which means silver arm in Portuguese. Um, so yeah, we just get, it's kind of shorthand for, for the neighborhood that we're in. Okay. And so when you're brewing a Pilsner, how, how is that specifically different from a brewing standpoint from say an IPA? Right. So for the, for a Pilsner, 
We use 100% Pilsner malt, so no specialty malt whatsoever. And, you know, this is malt that we get from, from Germany, from a small producer. Uh, they don't have any sort of distribution, <laughs> you know, channels or anything like this. So we just cool. get it directly from the source. Um, yeah, we did a little bit of hunting around uh, you found last the guy. year for, for that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so we uh, we have a, a again we have like a, a, a yeast that's not off the shelf. This is something that is made for us by a yeast lab. Uh, it's kind of in their reserve stock. Uh, so I just actually ordered some yesterday. It'll take you know six weeks to produce. Oh, uh, so yeah, it takes a little bit of planning, but again, it's just like something that we came across one time and just absolutely love. So in a way, a pilsner is like the most simple beer. You know, it's like the the most simple ingredients, but it's it's um, you know we, we lager it for uh, you know ideally six weeks uh, in summertime some sometimes not quite as long but mm-hmm. uh you know it's just all about the process we were just in ireland a few weeks ago so i drank a lot of stout when i was there yeah guinness of course but also beamish and murphy's and then some micro micro beers as well um tell me about your stouts a little bit we've made quite a number of them over the years we don't have currently we don't have any stouts in our permanent uh lineup just okay. because we, we just like making you know new ones all the time they have fortunately they have a great shelf life you know they last a long time um so yeah we we have a lot of uh big 10 12 percent imperial stouts uh, we always have a couple available um yeah, we we just uh, we try to make really big beers. We use we have a, like a double mash, so we'll, we we can't we put so much grain in that we have to fill it twice in order to get like one one uh, boil cut kettle like uh, volume out of out of the out of that grain. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a complicated process on the brew house side, but a little more difficult. Yeah. I mean, we we use a lot of yeast, you know, just to make sure the fermentation is healthy. And yeah, they have uh, pretty high finishing gravity to have that, you know, that thickness that uh, kind of backs backs it up. And and then the alcohol kind of gets lost in there. So, um, yeah, they're not even though they're 10 or 12 percent, they're not very alcoholic, you know, uh, tasting. So I, I didn't realize there was so much grain that went into making the stout. My understanding was one of the main differences is the roasting of the grain. Oh, sure. Yeah. So if we're just talking about a, like the Irish, you know, 5%, 6% okay. uh, stout. Oh, yeah, that, that's that, the difference. That would be, okay. that would be a different, uh, that would be a more simple process. But yes, it's, it, we would use roasted barley uh, in a stout, uh, you know, 5 10%, you know, depending on the recipe. And that's where you're going to get that you know, dark color and uh, the roastiness in the glass. Now, when folks refer to a milk stout, what's the difference between a milk stout and a regular, say, imperial stout? Right. So a milk stout will have lactose in it. So the reason that you would add lactose to a beer is because the lactose is not fermentable by the Saccharomyces, the brewery, uh, the brewing yeast. So the lactose will remain unfermented. And so that sweetness will, as opposed to the maltose and other sugars that will ferment out, uh, the lactose will remain. So it will, it will be sweet in the glass. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And, um, so you guys, I, I, I was back looking in the warehouse and you guys have lots and lots of different kinds. We've, we've touched on a few of the different kinds that you do, but you have lots of different varieties of beers that you're doing. 
what are some of the wacky ones that you've done over the last nine or ten years that you've been doing this? <laughs> Let's see. We did a Pastel Donata beer mm. where we put a, you know. All right. Yeah, we, put, we actually put 100 Pastel Donata in, in a beer. This is the, the typical cream custard from Lisbon. Right, right. Um, that was an, an imperial stout. Uh, and how'd that turn out? What, what was it like? Yeah, great. I mean, we've made several batches of it at this point. What's the flavor profile like? Yeah, I mean, I would say that there's some vanilla that came through, and we we actually added some cinnamon because that's the traditional right, you know, the topping, topping yeah. on on the on the pastry, and um, yeah, just the thickness, the the creaminess came through. Yeah, is cool. It's a fun beer. What what other ones have you made over the years that you thought were really interesting? Well, we use we've used a lot of barrels over the years, so that's kind of our um, our a little bit of our pet project. Um, we've, as you see behind you, there we have, we have about 330 oak barrels at the, at the moment. Um, so we've used everything from, uh, you know, port barrels. There's a lot of those in Portugal, uh, but there's also some other fortified wines, Muscatel, Carcavelos, that all have their own unique flavor profile. And, uh, yeah, some of the best beers, uh, that we've made, I think have, you know, spent some time in those barrels and, you know, before packaging just to take on that characteristic there's always a hint of vanilla from the oak and uh oh yeah. cool yeah the you know the muscatel is produced in the region where i'm living right now in stubel yeah um how does that uh, manifest itself in your beer so we've made a couple of beers with muscatel barrels um they've been more on the belgian side so it's like saisons uh and yeah they've been great though um uh, Muscatel is kind of a, I don't know how to describe it. It has a little bit of a apple, appleness to it, a little okay. bit of pear. Um, and then, but it's also heavier than like cider or something like that. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, it, it just brings the, this brightness to the beer. So that's why we're, that's why we use more like lighter beers like Saison's instead of Stouts for, the, for that. I think I'd enjoy that. Yeah. I think I'd enjoy that as well. Um, you know, as I was, as you were showing me around here, one of the things that I noticed was, um, you know, you've got a small group here who looks like they enjoy working here. And then I walk around and I see uh, there's bikes around here. It looks like folks are biking to work. And then I went into when we came in, I guess it must be the employee lounge area or something. And there's a big fridge in there. And one of the shelves is labeled, I think it says employee beers or something or right. something like that. So is that for after the shift is over? Is that for lunch? What, what are we doing here? Well, I think every brewery, every brewery has some uh, some staff beers that uh, are short fills or, you know, oh, something is maybe not. I mean, they're, they're perfectly drinkable, but something's maybe not quite right for okay. for the consumer or for to, to sell. So, yeah, that, we have. A That's why they're unlabeled. I noticed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. So uh, if folks want to get uh, some of your beers, um, I guess we have to come to Lisbon. I, I can't imagine you've got a U.S. distributor with an operation this size. Right. Now, we've never sent beer to the U.S. We've sent it, you know, to quite a few countries in Europe. Uh, but, yeah, never outside of Europe. So where's a, tell me a couple of places. When folks come here, well, first of all, you've got a tap room that's, right. uh, I don't know, a mile from here, a mile and a half from here, yeah. which uh, I happened to stop by earlier and looks like a really cool spot, really hip. And uh, the, the guys who work there look like really, they seem very uh, nice guys, knowledgeable. Um, so you've got your tap room. 
good place to go. But who else in Lisbon carries your beer and you would recommend, hey, go here and really have a good experience? Yeah. Well, as far as craft beer bars, um, there's quite a few. And I don't mean to make any enemies by not mentioning some, but... uh, uh, yeah, so we'll we'll say you're going to mention a couple, <laughs> but obviously you can't mention all of them. Right. So Ocholado uh, is a beer right downtown um, near Praça de Comercio that has, you know, beer from all over the world. But uh, yeah, they, they actually they buy a bunch of our beer as well. Um, I would say Flor de Lupulo, which is more in a Portuguese neighborhood, not in the center necessarily. It's another great spot. OK. Um, yeah, they have a lot of Portuguese beers there as well. Okay. Um, yeah. Two great places to go. And also, I would recommend if people are in Stubel, the town where I live in, um, go to 74. Uh, this is where I discovered your beer the first time. Um, I walked in there. It's a, it's a little Italian uh, restaurant and bar. And the owner sat down with us and he's like, and we thought we were going to have some wine. And he's like, no, you have to try this beer. They make it in Lisbon. And I said, wow. After he poured me a glass, I was like, wow, this is really very special. That's great. Yeah. So uh, that place is called 74. It's in Stubel. It's a little hole in the wall, kind of off the main drag of uh, Louisa Toti. So cool. um, let's let's end this a little bit by talking about Lisbon itself. So you've lived here for 10 years now, Scott. Yeah. Um, for folks who are coming here, because everyone's coming to Lisbon now, mm-hmm. for folks who are coming for a visit, Give us a few places where, where you think uh, would be a good recommendation to go, maybe for a beer, but maybe for a meal or maybe for some wine, whatever whatever you're thinking off the top of your head. Yeah, so some of the places that I go to uh, a lot are Clandestino, which is a cocktail bar in uh, Intendant. Uh, um, yeah, I just think that the co- cocktails there are great. They all, do you have our beer as well? <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm coming from this from as from a vegetarian point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been a vegetarian all my life, somewhat pescatarian uh, okay. as well. So you know, I love uh, Mary Scaras and you know some seafood as well. But okay. uh, one of the vegetarian places I really really like is Gambozino, which is also right there by Intendant. Oh, I'm not familiar with them. Yeah, yeah, I think they're great, and they actually make great cocktails as well. They they have some craft beer there. Um, I don't think they have ours, but you know, I think I, it's a great place to check out. My favorite restaurant, and I was just, I just saw an article that outlined all the, uh, they, they said these are the top restaurants in Lisbon. Of course, you got to take all these lists with a grain of salt, right? Sure. But um, this was all the best restaurants in Lisbon, not vegetarian restaurants, just all the best. And the number one on the list was my favorite vegetarian restaurant, me personally, I haven't been to them all, uh, called AO26. Oh, yeah. I love that place. Yeah. Their vegan bifana is unbelievable. And it's like five five euro. Uh-huh. And it's just unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I'm by, I, I always go and get that for lunch. One of my favorites. I don't know what their, I would imagine they have a good wine list. I don't know what their wine list is like. I can't mm-hmm. recall having wine or beer at AO26, but yeah. I really like that place too. As far as wine, one of my favorite spots is Black Sheep, which okay. is in Praça de Flores. And uh, it's the probably the, one of the smallest bars in Lisbon, but uh, they have, you know, natural and low intervention wines there and really run by really great people. 
And, uh, I mean, it's so small that you're guaranteed to make a friend because you, you know, you end up just talking to the people next to you. Cause you're shoulder to shoulder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like yeah. it. Good, good. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink today. It's been great talking to you. It's been great learning about your beer. And it's been great sitting here and uh, enjoying some of your Creature American IPA. All right. Salud. To that. Salud. Okay. There you go. Scott was kind enough to send me home with a big old care package of some of their beers at Doish Corvosh. And I've really, really enjoyed all of them. My, my favorite might be the Finisterra Imperial Porter, but really, they're all excellent. And I've got links to uh, Doish Corvosh in the show notes, plus all the places Scott mentioned as well. Get that at radiomisfits.com slash DED194. So when you come to Lisbon, you can visit the Doish Corvosh tap room. Uh, that's it for this week. Next week, it's Cork, Ireland, with a vegan anarchist punk rocker who has one of the best places to eat in all of Cork. Until then, get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. I just posted a story about QR codes and how I absolutely hate those damn things in restaurants. Read about it at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Maybe you'll end up agreeing with me. Maybe you'll end up thinking I'm just being a Luddite. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and a guy who wants to make a deep dish pizza and Italian beef infused beer, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.